0: This week on TWiP, it's a crossover between podcasts. This one, This Week in Photo, and Scott White and Kivowitz and his podcast Workflows. We're trading places. He's going to interview me. I'm going to interview him. It's a discussion about all things content creation. All that and more is coming your way next, this week on TWiP.
1: This is TWiP. Whip workflows, crossover. this is a unique thing that we're doing. Um, it's very exciting, new to both of us, and I can't wait to see where
0: this conversation goes. Frederick, how's it going, man? It's going great. Yeah, I think we're onto something here. We're crossing the flows. we're experimenting with yeah. different prompt structures, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're doing with this show. And I think we're mixing it up a little bit. We both have a ton of ideas over yeah. the different topics that we discussed that we're going to cover in mm-hmm. this episode. And yeah, it makes sense. We've got your chocolate, my peanut butter. We'll put them together and we'll see what comes out at the end of the day. Yeah. At the end of the day, the, the listeners will benefit because they get to hear a new voice on both of our platforms yeah. and, and a mixture of ideas. And just real quick before we we kick it off, um, for the TWIP listening audience, just a a heads up of what this experiment is about. And I know I probably covered this, future me covered this in the intro for this episode, but I'm going to rehash it just in case that guy dropped the ball. Scott actually had the idea of doing this sort of collaborative podcast episode, and I agreed. I thought, yeah, what a great idea. How come I didn't think about that? And that's where we both get on, talk about the topics that we have outlined, and then syndicate or publish on both platforms i'm excited to be here (laughs) crossover yeah it's
1: It's like uh chicago pd meeting chicago fire meeting chicago med except it's only two of us
0: (laughs) there you go something like that (laughs) it all works it all works it all works (laughs) yeah
1: um yeah you and i have known each other for quite some time and i'm glad i've been on your show i think once or twice yeah Um, i think twice i can't remember if you were on the last podcast i hosted but i'm glad that we're doing this and yes, for all the Workflows listeners, this is a fun thing. If it goes well, hopefully Frederick and I can do more of these. But this is experiment number one, and we'll see what happens. So yeah, yeah. with that, let's, us, yeah. let's dive right in. So this whole conversation that we're about to have is about um, a variety of different things with the future of photography. We're going to touch on AI and a whole bunch of automations and things like that. The first thing I wanted to discuss was the fact that AI has actually been in our cameras for quite some time at this point, yeah, and I figured it'd be nice to just touch on the different aspects of where AI is in our cameras, whether people realize it or not.
0: Yeah, so yeah, it's in several areas in there. One of them out there, the most obvious one is autofocus, and how autofocus is getting better and better is largely attributable to the artificial intelligence or machine learning inside yeah. the camera themselves. And what is that? So, yeah, great. <laughs> my, my camera has AI in it, but did that, does that mean it's an Android? No, it means it. the makers of the camera taught it to recognize certain things and understand those things and weight them yeah. differently in the frame and do things based on that weighting, i.e., oh, yeah. a bird in the sky. Maybe that's what they yeah. want versus in the olden days right it was other ways that they detected what the subject was whether it be motion or contrast contrast. yeah Yeah, those kind of things now it's it can still do those i'm sure they're still using those but as they're using all of this stuff in concert together to get that amazing result like on the nikon z9 and the z8 now i'm guessing the autofocus of those cameras is just heralded of being borderline magic yeah. Arthur C. Clarke style magic and then cameras like Lumix on the Panasonic side, which is I'm an owner of both. In fact, I'm on the Lumix camera right now. But back in the day and Panasonic is, a, is aware of this. One of their Achilles heel weak points has been the focusing on Micro Four Thirds cameras. Mm-hmm. So add a little AI to the sauce and suddenly you get it's what much- the photographers <laughs> have been begging for. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, yeah. I feel like the AI for focusing started with faces, I think was the first Recognizing overall faces, it, it, it worked well because as soon as you return the head, your focus would get a little confused if it was face recognition. Um, even that's gotten smarter to still follow the face as the face turns, right? You know, following the, the head ra- rather than the face. Um, then it moved into to human eyes. It's moved into animal eyes, which is really interesting. Yeah. But then moving beyond faces became object detection. So now, as you mm-hmm. said, like birds. Full people, so you can detect full people in certain yeah. cameras. My favorite, even though I don't shoot this, but I know there's a lot of, at least there's, there's a lot of Imagine users that I know of, and I'm sure there's a lot of SmugMug users and Flickr users that, that are all doing this, but like car racing, right? So NASCAR, for example, there's now cameras that can detect objects yeah. like cars, Mm-hmm. driving by, <laughs> super fast, Yeah, object detection. And then the absolute kicker is what I think, I don't know if Sony's doing it, but I know Canon and Icon are doing it now where it's eyeball focus detection. So as you're looking through the EVF, it can detect where your eye is looking and focus on whatever. So instead of you having to hit the autofocus button to focus the camera, it's just focusing on where your eye looks.
0: You know what, that is, is that new? Scott, is that new? Because I remember... I don't i think it was canon i want to say canon way back in the day developed something and i don't know if it was if it's still in the cameras as i don't shoot canon i'm not sure what the platform is but i remember there was this tech where it would look at your eye it'd be looking like it was a little tiny emitter in the view in the the eyepiece Mm -hmm. that would essentially it was i think it was very it was smart and smartly executed but very ham handed because it was <laughs> instead of using the intelligent artificial intelligence was like, oh, I know this is an eye and there's a retina and it's yeah. looking over there and oh, yeah. it it's dilated or closed down. So it must be looking at this certain distance. It's not doing all that stuff. It's that one was looking at the whites of the eye. Mm. So if it saw a lot of white in an eye, it knew the eye was probably looking in that direction. Because right. the retina was, would have to be over there, therefore it could use that information and put the focus area in that area of the screen to yeah. give it a kind of a head start on what you're looking at. I'm not I'm, yeah I'm, I, I know I'm not doing the, the, the technology justice, but that's <laughs> right, right. right, right. I, do you remember that? Do you remember that: feature? I do yeah. and I'm
1: sure it was built on that framework.: Now yeah. it is what you just described where it's pinpointing everything. so like the wedding industry now it's sped up so many photographers in camera workflow because now. It's less less half touching or less f on buttons or back, back back button focusing or just um, focus
0: in general, right? Just focus. Yeah, yeah. Focus. Focus. I'm aging myself, but I the first camera <laughs> I owned was I didn't even own it. It was an Air Force camera, and the mm. first camera I was issued was a Nikon F three manual. Right, mm-hmm. that thing was full on manual with the focus yeah. prism. Your older view, your older listeners will understand the focus prism that you had to get it (laughs) together and then your image was. So, you had the thing was not to make this a focusing episode, but you, the, your skill as a photographer had to be such that you could internalize making sure the shot was sharp, i.e., locked in. If it was moving, that was a whole nother bag of worms because you had to track it and keep the shutter button down. So it was that along with all the other bits, whether it's composition, exposure, lighting, all that stuff. So all that stuff had to be in play in your head at the moment of capture. And you fast forward to this glorious future we live in, and that part is lifted off of our shoulders. And I don't think, I don't think it makes people can argue this in the comments or whatever, but I don't think it makes you a better photographer. Or worse photographer, now that you don't have to worry so much, if at all, about focusing, I think it it makes you, if anything, it lifts the, the weight off of your brain to have to worry about it was that shot in focus that I right. thought about the composition and right. I wanted that tree there and I wanted this and then I had to interact with the subject and get her to get him or her to smile yeah. and do all these things. Now I focusing think- is off the table, right?
1: Yeah, I think the word you just said, interacting with the client more is like the key there because now the less that you have to think about or you're thinking about it, but the less you have to like physically, your brain, some of your brain power has to be focused on autofocus, for example, or manual focus, for example, or changing your shutter or changing your aperture, whatever it is, the less brain power you have to give to that means the more brain power you have to connecting and interacting with your client. So yeah,
0: absolutely. um, So it just gets us, it just makes us better. Yeah, Yeah. And and the other, I think, just to put another nail in that coffin of that particular bullet, (laughs) (laughs) is Apple with their Apple Vision Pro headset that they Mm -hmm. just came out with. So um, I've never touched that thing. I've probably seen as much as anybody else has seen about it. But it knows where you're looking as well because it's got a series of cameras and sensors in there that are looking at your eyes so that... Yeah, so we can do all <laughs> sorts of things. Like, yeah. what should, what are they looking at? What should be in focus? Which not yeah. be in focus? How much processor speed should yeah. I apply to that part of the screen versus where they're not looking? All yeah. that stuff is happening. I gotta imagine those sorts of technologies. Much like, I don't know, like when smartphones launched, right? When and sort of started, started pl- proliferating around the planet and became the norm, mm-hmm. other industries popped up because of smartphones and other technologies like the miniaturization of compasses to go in the devices, the accelerometer, the altitude sensor, all those things went in miniaturized on a chip into this device to make that device possible. This new device, the Apple Vision Pro, has other technologies in there that I got to imagine are going to find their way into other industries, some existing, some that we don't even know about yet are going to show up because of what Apple and their trillions of dollars are developing into this new, kind of new platform. So yeah, I mean,
1: Not to get too sidetracked on like outside of photography, but imagine mm-hmm. that technology that's in the, these VR goggles, <laughs> cause that's yeah. what I'm gonna call them. Yeah, imagine that they're now in your car and you look off
0: the road and now your car is yelling at you for looking off the road. Yeah, like, cars do that now. So, they do that now. Do, they have that built into the Teslas and, and many of the electric, to, so, when they're self-driving in there. Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. yeah, you're paying attention to the road, which I don't like. I don't, it's one thing to have that in my camera <laughs> and to assist me with making a better photo. When you're <laughs> yeah, to have a, Ooh. yeah, I mean, I know it's for safety and everything, but I just, yeah, I feel weird when I feel like, okay, someone's watching me, but I'm driving, even if it's an entity, an AI or my yeah. car, or whatever, for my own good. Yeah. It's, it feels a little invasive. I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't it's... mind the car looking at the road for me, but I don't want it looking yeah. at me.
0: Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Yeah. 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 Then so you, moving on, on to the When you next... doze off and hit somebody, then you're like, okay, why didn't you tell me? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, car! <laughs> so there's a bunch
1: of other new, newer AI techs that tech, technology is making its way into apps. Some, have exa- again, have existed for some time that I think are, for one example, being something very beneficial to stock photographers, commercial photographers, landscape photographers. Some cases... Potentially wedding photographers could utilize this, but there's XR Photo, XR Search, XR Photo. like This company mm-hmm. who makes, it detect, it scans your photos. The XR Search is a Lightroom plugin. and XR Photo is a standalone app. And they, they, it basically looks at your photos, analyzes what the photo is and creates keywords for you on a variety of factors. And on one just came out with theirs on, we're recording this on June 21st, that's a Wednesday, on Monday. What was it? The nineteenth on one came out with their own version of that, which is a standalone app. There's no Lightroom plugin, at least right now, and it also does the same thing. Where you just scans your photos for keywords and adds the photos to the metadata. You can then load it up in Lightroom, and now you've got all those keywords in Lightroom or in Photoshop or wherever. And I feel like that's. I've used both at this point. I've only used on ones for a couple of days at this point, but. It's, it's amazing. As somebody who loves landscape photography, I find it amazing how accurate and interesting the keywords can come up with. So yeah. what are your thoughts yeah. on those?
0: I, I agree. Yeah, I'm very, I know the folks over at Xire from the top on down, the great folks mm-hmm. that are genuine folks that are working on genuine software that solves a genuine, I, I don't know if you want to call it a problem, but a, an annoyance to photographers. Yes, and annoyance that for whole sure. Keyword. Yeah. And it's my annoyance with keywording comes in when I see friends of mine, I don't know, Photo Joseph or somebody like that, who's all in and meticulous on their keywording and the hierarchies and all that stuff. And everything's perfect. He can find the hair on a dog from 19 (laughs) whatever. And, but yeah, so in step a company like Exire and now on one with these, a way to use artificial intelligence. In this case, AI is a weird term, right? Because it's thrown around a lot. It covers a whole bunch of things, but everyone thinks it's only one thing. In the case of this, what they're doing with the keywording is, again, it's back down to machine learning, i.e. brute force, feed the machine a bunch of photos so that it knows what's what. And then when it sees something that looks like that, apply that tag to it. That's yeah. All is doing. So if it sees a red dog or a, re- a cat or something, mm-hmm. it's going to go, oh, that is a cat. Okay. And here's the tree for cat. Feline, yeah. claws, yeah. blah. So it's going to yeah. put all that stuff in there for you automatically. Well beyond anything that you or I would ever feel like or want to do as a human, we can through this kind of menial grunt work over to the AI and have it do it more okay. efficiently than we could ever conceive of doing. And that's what it's for. It's brilliant. I did a whole tutorial for the Xire folks. I think mm-hmm. they may still have it on their site where I... I walked through the software and demoed all the different pieces of how it works and how it can fit in. Yeah. And it's magical, man. It is really magical just to be able to see. And if you've been shooting for as long as I have, you probably have a library full of images, oh, yeah. whether they're personal or kids and, and or yep. work or whatever. But to be able to, with the power of a piece of software, after it indexes everything, to go in and say, yeah, show me every photo from when I went to yeah. Las Vegas. Boom. Yep. Okay, show well, me I, every photo from yeah. when I went to the MGM Grand or every photo yeah. that has, it's, yeah, it's very- You're A
1: real world example of how I use Xire while working at Imagine, actually. So I've been at Imagine now for, we're approaching two years already. And, and it was a, this, almost a year ago, in a couple weeks. So it was, we we're coming up to July 4th to Independence Day here in the US. Mm-hmm. And our social media manager was like, hey, does anybody have fireworks photos? I was like, I do. So I loaded up Lightroom and I, I was using XR search. And I just literally just searched for the word fireworks. And I exported every photo that I've ever shot of fireworks ever into a bunch of JPEG for him to choose from. It took me two seconds and it was only due to Having all my keywords in place thanks to XR search. So real yeah. world, like yeah, I had a need
0: and it solved it. That's why when people complain about, oh, AI is going to take our jobs and blah, 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 blah. And, yeah. If, yeah. Some jobs, absolutely. It's going to, it's going to eat them and spit them out. Yeah. We can see it already. I'd be terrified if I were in some industries that are going to be affected by this. Whether it be people that write stuff or even <laughs> as we see things unfold, even... In the future, I I predict we're going to see certain industries like even maybe headshot photography taking a hit because at a certain point, you're going to be able to get a scan of yourself, a highly accurate scan of yourself that then you'll be able to just say, hey, put me in a Corvette flying down a desert highway wearing a red scarf flying in the wind. And there you are, photorealistic you. So there's these things, yeah. I, I feel like the, those kind of jobs or those kind of tasks are in the crosshairs of this AI stuff. But then there's the other things also that get painted with the same AI brush, like keywording and then these more mundane things that we, yeah. are, oh, thank you, AI, for doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Or I'm a Grammarly-holic, you know, the app Grammarly. Same. I, <laughs> I use it to appear more <laughs> intelligent than I am every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, and i'm not embarrassed to say that every day i use it it's great Fantastic. right now we have
1: grammarly is in, is in attached to frederick's brain and <laughs> right now we're hearing the intelligent frederick but once we remove that chip he goes back to me the...
0: it's low-key it is low-key mrs mitchell mrs mitchell was <laughs> was uh but english one of my english teachers in high school uh and i remember the, yeah i i she would correct me on certain grammar mistakes all the time oh when you do a quotation mark that, and you're quoting at the end of a sentence, the period needs to be inside the quotation mark, not outside, even though it looks yep. like it should, things like that or this should be hyphenated or that should be, or yeah. even the dreaded, where does the apostrophe go? <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially when their name ends in S and you're talking about something that's not, those yeah. kind of things that trip up people, Grammarly catches those for yeah. me. And over time, if it catches them enough, I'm like, oh, I don't make the mistake anymore. So I don't make the mistake of putting the period outside of the quotation mark anymore because Grammarly has hit me over the head so many times. It's yeah. now I do it right. So I would argue that I'm smarter or at least better grammatically than I was a year ago because of using this software and, or using these tools like, like Grammarly. So it's crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. You brought up the headshot thing. We're going to get back. We're going to get to generative imaging. Do you want to talk about yeah. that now and go back to the, to the other two topics or do you want to yeah, wait and come not? back to. All right. So, so, so generative imaging, right? Generative AI images as mm-hmm. officially termed or whatever. I don't know. I am. I have a love hate relationship with these. I can find them to be useful. The whole headshot thing. There's a website that exists. I tried it. You pay 20 bucks or whatever you upload. 20 or however, 40, 20 to 50 something photos of yourself. Mm-hmm.
0: And then it literally creates headshots for you. Yeah, Linza. And Linza.ai is the, I think that's one of the tools the, that does that, yeah.
1: That's one of the tools. There's actually one dedicated to
0: just headshots. Oh, is and it? Oh, oh yeah. I need to know the name of that. I want to try it. Yeah,
1: I'll, I'll look it up when we're, when we're done. But it's, it, it does a, a decent job. It still doesn't look real. Some of them don't even look like you, but it does a decent yeah. job. In fact, right. at Shutterfest... Like, you you go to a trade show, you go to WPPI, you go to imaging, whatever. There's always banners of the speakers and of the sponsors and stuff like that. At Shutterfest, on the trade show floor, they had banners. And this year, all the banners were of the speakers as AI. And oh, wow. it was the talk of the show because nine times out of ten, it didn't look like the speaker at all. Yeah. So it's interesting. Maybe it looked like um, what the
0: speaker wished they looked like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I've played around with a lot of the uh, generative AI imaging tools, and I've seen workflows like Sam Hurd, for example, just put out a, a YouTube video showing how he's automating going from his Canon camera to Dropbox or to, a, to his FTP server, and then MidJourney's taking it, taking that and creating four potential variations on the photo and putting it in a Dropbox folder within a minute, all in real time. And so it gives him to be able to like shoot with a client, and then see a variation of what maybe he can try something else. And yeah. so I, there's potential, really cool uses for it. I'm not a fan of just the create this image, and it outputs it, right? Uh, I do the whole Photoshop thing where it expand the scene, let it take your photo and some AI and, and fill
0: in. But there's so much, there's so much to unpack there. And thank you for bringing that. Thank you for bringing it up. Like I said, I like I told you before, I just got back from uh, Infocom in Orlando. I was doing, I did a couple of, I sat on a panel that was talking about the future of streaming and how AI might affect that. And then I did a talk on how, you, you know, basically it was my workflow and, and different ways that I'm using AI to enhance my workflow that I wasn't doing a year or so ago. It's the, on the generative side of things, it is... It's it, it, like I said in the talk, it's I'm cautiously optimistic, but I, I lean more towards optimistic on yeah. where this stuff is taking us. I am heavily more towards optimistic, um, but with a healthy dose of pessimism and fear. Right. To keep us <laughs> keep us alive, Right. Fear. But, fear. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that when I look at this stuff, especially the generative stuff, I can't help but be excited. To go back a little bit to your thoughts about just headshot photography not being there yet, where people upload a series of images and it does the thing. Yeah. We're in pre-alpha, I think, yeah. for this stuff. We literally, a lot of people don't, we're at the point now, like right now, y- you'd be hard-pressed to find a person on the planet that doesn't know what an iPhone is. It wasn't always that way. It was, right. at a certain point, there were just a certain group of people, insiders that, that knew about it or knew it was coming or whatever, even after all of Apple's launch plans or whatever, there's a certain contingent of the population on the planet are like, what's, a, what's an iPhone? And now, of course, everybody knows. We've been marinating in it for years now. So everyone knows what their iPhone is. And it has advanced to the point where these things, our phones are doing things that were we never conceived that they would go, right? They've birthed billion-dollar industries that we had no idea we needed 10, 15 years ago, like Uber and Lyft and those kinds of things. So yeah. I look at AI, especially on the generative side of things, as being that we're at the we're at launch at the beginning of all this. So you extrapolate out 10, 15 years or so, what that's where photographers I think need to be looking, like skating to where the puck is going to be. So if you look at where this stuff is pointing to right now, with what meta is trying to do what apple is trying to do you zoom out a little bit and look at what hap- what's happening with crypto and nft and how that's going to work into this and mid journey and photoshop with firefly and how that's going to work into this new kind of these w- mini worlds that are being built look at what nvidia is doing mm. with their hardware it's hard to think of a scenario when Super realistic, unreal engine quality avatars of our persons are not going to be one of the next kind of Uber or Holy Grail companies where it's okay. Yeah, you can instead right now, it's okay. Upload a bunch of photos, 2D crappy photos of yourself and the AI will do some interesting tricks with it. Right. That's where we are now. Imagine the world where you can go to a facility somewhere. I don't know. Maybe it's a photo studio of the future. And get a full on perfect scan of your entire body as it stands right now. You now, of course, you'll be able to make modifications to it if you don't like the way you look or whatever, but you'll have that data at a super high resolution, on a super high resolution scan that then you can do other things with. Like I said, put yourself in different situations, show up in Zoom calls render a headshot for whatever will headshots even be necessary if somebody can just call up your virtual profile and linkedin of the future it's those things when i look at these technologies adobe and their forward thinking to put generative ai as a tool within photoshop to give us a taste of what could happen brilliant yeah brilliant and it's scaring the crap out of a ton of people i think because rightly so headshot photographers commercial photographers like in that same yeah. ilk Scott so the same ilk of okay I can go to a facility and get myself scanned in now I can put myself in whatever situation I don't have to worry about going to get a photo shoot all my family's been scanned too so I could do a Christmas photo that's appropriate for the time and we're all in Christmas suits I could generate that if I want to now of course yeah you probably want to just shoot that because it's personal but you could generate that I think about it from the impact on commercial photography though so mm-hmm. what happens when company A decides, hey, we have this widget that we need a bunch of photos for the website, and they yeah. just get that widget scanned in, much like yep. car companies are doing today. They just yep. scan, they have full three D representations of their cars. They can do whatever the heck they want to do with. Imagine when that's the whole world can do that yeah. with anything, right? Yep. And yeah, it changes. It changes a lot. Yeah, it's
1: it's it is it's it is definitely. A little bit of caution, but (laughs) a little bit of fear, but a whole lot of optimism. Yeah, It's definitely mixed emotions when it comes to generative AI, but I am 100% in agreement with you. I think what Adobe has done so far, it's the natural progression of here's what people are doing to manipulate photos already. Let's give them this AI to just take it to the next level. And make it easy instead of having to go to MidJourney and do this, to then go back to here, then go back to here. Just have it in yeah. one place and have it easy throughout the software. I think there's still, it's definitely a way to go. I still think, yes, it's beta, but it's definitely still mm-hmm. alpha. There's a way to go. I, I put out a video a few weeks back. It's the, the good, the bad, and the ugly with Photoshop's generative AI that's built in. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I showed mm-hmm. I showed what it did great. And what it didn't do so great. Like when I asked it to replace a sock with a bird and it made a sock bird puppet. And I was like, it's not really what I asked it to do. It's funny, but it's it, not Maybe really it has funny. a sense of humor. Yeah, maybe it does. But So let's go to something a little more, less, less scary in, in some cases, very productive, very workflow oriented and actually happening now, which is yeah. cool. Um, camera to cloud. Yeah. So this is something that is um being pioneered and spearheaded by um Fuji, Fujifilm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Imagine, Smug Mug, um who else is in on Skyloom is in on this, mm-hmm. um, and of course frame.io, which is Adobe, they're yep. in on this. So this is something that was uh, demoed lightly at Imaging USA and by lightly informal but they still put on a presence and then more heavily demoed at WPPI. Yeah. And it was so cool. So the concept is, and even though it's a proof of concept, it's happening. Like, mm. this is happening. And again, it started with Fujifilm. There's a good chance, very good chance that a lot of cameras like Panasonic and Nikon and Canon will be doing stuff like this. But you shoot in camera with right now the Fujifilm cameras, two of them that do this. Yeah. The, ca- the photos go directly to Frame.io as well as the memory card. So you got it in both places. You got your raw file on the memory card. You got your raw file that went to Frame.io directly. No phone needed in between. It is then called and edited by Imagine's AI, right? So right now it's being edited by Imagine. Culling can happen in the future just by flipping a switch, right? But it's, editing, it's being edited by Imagine, again, through the cloud, and then it's being sent to a Smug Mug gallery. My my favorite part: the raw file sent to Smug Mug with the XMP of the edits sent to Smug Mug, and the outputted JPEG sent yeah. to Smug Mug in a Smug Mug gallery, ready for your client to see and order prints
0: from. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is. It feels like that's the holy grail, right? For me, it feels like that is the holy grail that a lot of photographers in a lot of different industries have been chasing for a while. Photojournalists, for example, and sports photographers. Like, you're at the game in the olden days. The olden days, you were shooting film, so there was that gap, right? And then when it went digital, it was the gap of the time that you can get over to some place to go through your images and upload them to AP or wherever. Then you, and now with this camera to cloud piece, we're m- removing that last bit out of there as well, which I think which which is a, a couple of topics to touch on there. The first one is, yeah, the convenience and mm-hmm. the the way that I feel like they're designing it, the technology to work. And yeah, for folks that don't know, just to set the stage here, my company this week in photo, the podcast, the educational resource, et cetera, community was acquired last year in 2022 buy SmugMug to go along with Flickr and SmugMug as one of the three brands over there. I had a heads up that this was coming, right? The whole Fuji and camera to cloud partnership between those, between SmugMug and Fuji. And I look at this and I think, okay, at its core, this, when I first saw it, I was like, okay, at its core, we're replacing that long tether tools cable that yeah. I have when I'm shooting tethered and I got somebody in the studio and I shoot it and they can see it yeah. on the screen and oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, but maybe try yeah. not to smile, whatever. So you that's the flow I was thinking. So that bandwidth of sh- squeezing that JPEG, that XMP sidecar file, that raw file, all the data yeah. is in the case of tether tools is going through that cable, that orange cable to your computer in the case of this is going to the cloud, cable, by the way. I love my orange cables, yeah. (laughs) I had to throw one away yesterday because it was old. It was an old connector. But the, yeah, but instead it's going to the cloud and then Mm -hmm. coming down to wherever, based on rules or where you want it to go. Like you go to a smug mug gallery that has certain permissions and access privileges set on it already. For me personally, that's scary because I don't, For yeah, I want it to go up there for me, but um, very rarely are my shots ready for human consumption right out of camera i need to do a little i put some frederick seasoning on them before other humans see them so there's that but if you're doing photojournalism you're on the field somewhere and news needs to happen right now boom and it's on the editor's desk and they can make the decision on what goes where i think it's brilliant this isn't this unless i'm missing something this isn't necessarily brand new technology the i think the tech is new what they're building i have no idea what magic they put in the software and hardware to make this work But you remember back in the day, there was a company called iFi. You remember iFi? Yep, the memory card did the work. Memory card. They had Wi-Fi. They had squeezed a Wi-Fi transmitter onto a little SD card that you'd stick in your camera, and it would do something similar. You'd shoot. It would record to the chip, to the memory of the card, but then also go to iFi's servers, which mm-hmm. would then, based on your rules, syndicate that image out to different areas. The JPEG, yeah. of course, right? Yes. But it, you could have it go to Flickr, you could have it go to Smugmug, yeah. you could have it go to wherever, all yeah. these different places at the point of capture. But it yeah. was buggy and it was slow yes. and it was JPEG yeah. only and it was slow yeah. and it was slow. <laughs> yep. so yeah. So it didn't I think work. The magic, it didn't work. I think that, yeah, I think the magic of
1: what Fujifilm has done is they built it with, I believe it's Wi Fi 6. E or whatever the latest Wi-Fi is, so it's like the yeah. fastest possible Wi-Fi right now, and because it's built into the camera itself, not a memory card, doesn't need that additional. It doesn't lose any of that transmit data for, that a memory card would give. So you're getting the, the absolute fastest it can possibly process through the Wi-Fi. So if you're on a Wi-Fi six network, you could potentially get almost a gigabyte speed of transfer through Wi-Fi. Right. Yeah, it's that's, that is a beautiful thing. And just to touch on the whole wanting to add the the Frederick special sauce after you shoot the photos is that's where Imagine com- comes in, right? Imagine learns how you edit. You're getting it to your SmugMug gallery, but you're actually getting it edited the same way you would. So yeah. that's the that's the beautiful part. But right. I so I haven't I have one of the Fuji prototypes, the Fuji film prototypes. I, oh cool. Nice. I, um I haven't fully tested it as far as can it can I choose which photos go Like, but at the same time, do I want to choose which photos go because then I'm now I'm slowing myself back down again. You know what I mean? I want the
0: choice. I want, I want to be able to make the choice of whether I want everything that every time I press the shutter, whatever you record, put that somewhere. Or I think what iFi did back in the day, if I'm remembering, it's coming back to me. Like on the Nike, I shoot Nikon. So on the Nikons, at least there was, there's a lock button on there where you can actually lock an image. So... Yeah, they would. You could set it so it would only send up the images that you locked, which was cool, right? Because you could be shooting, you're like, yeah, that one needs to go. Okay, no, this one needs to go, or later when you're reviewing, you could pick and have those automatically go up. So something like, I think it's not it's not a one size fits all. It's got to be a situational type thing. But I I, the the speed that I think that's the part where I need to see this work. I need to try it in person. On, mm-hmm. on something that's mission critical to see where the holes are. that's the only time you'll see if it's well, actually viable yeah. to I put it tell you, into at, battle.
1: Yeah, at Imaging and at WPPI, which doesn't have great Wi-Fi on the trade right. show floor and around the hotel, right? Any trade they, show. Yeah, at, at Imaging, I think they had about, I wanna say 15 prototypes around mm-hmm. the trade show. Mm-hmm. All people shooting all at once. And at WPPI, it was even more. It was probably over 20 prototypes all at once. And they were constantly going and showing the, the results. Even well, with the, you,
0: you played so you've played with it. It was a great person to ask this question to you. So you've yeah. seen it in action, you've played with it. Yeah. You mentioned briefly earlier that your phone, you, you don't need the phone. I think you were saying right. that more from the standpoint of you don't need to pair and then copy from the, the camera to your phone okay. and then send it somewhere that way. But it is still using your phone, right? No. It's connecting du- directly. It, no, So it is doesn't. there a, it goes, there's a cellular chip inside these Fuji cameras that... No, it's, it, it's Wi-Fi. It's Wi-Fi. Also, um, so there's a Wi-Fi chip inside it, which means it needs to connect to the local Wi-Fi and correct. send I, that way. So you're still at... You're under control of whatever Wi-Fi connection that you're connected correct. to. It, but like right. you said, in the case of a trade show, everybody and their mama is connected to that Wi-Fi. Yeah, to the really <laughs> horrible Wi-Fi. Is, is, yeah. And if it still worked in that situation, yeah. then... I think we got something. So, yeah. 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 And, and keep okay in mind,
1: much. if you are let's go back to the NASCAR thing. You're shooting NASCAR. Yeah. Maybe you've got yourself a 5G hotspot and you, it's yeah, only you, which I need and yeah, I need to, get and now list. you're good. Right. Yeah. And I, I had to double check. I had the camera packed right now cause I'm going to be using it next week, but I think I have to double check. I think it might have an ethernet port as well, but I have to double check. Oh, so, in the, the grip cause it's a grip. Too. Oh, the
0: camera itself is going to have like, uh, Oh, wow. I okay. think
1: I think the grip might have it cuz the the one that they gave me has a grip attached so I have three batteries at once for the camera. If that's true,
0: oh. double check that cuz if that's true and You're you can now plug you have to a bit. You, yeah, you can plug and especially if there's if they're doing uh power over ethernet as well. So if you can bring in an ethernet cable and have your your camera charged at the same time and Basically, tethered and whatever yeah. it shoots goes back. You basically have a remote camera at that True. point where you can True. set it up and just go to town yeah. wherever yeah. you happen to be, as long as you have that connection. But yeah. Wi Fi, uh, having, uh, yeah. having the Wi Fi connection, having the Wi Fi connection is the, that's the, I guess that's the weak link, right? For now. Yeah. Right. So For you now, need to have, yeah. you need to have one of those pucks or whatever to give you that 5G, wherever, or a Starlink account or something. <laughs> So that that you can shoot and share, but you still, you need, it's not magic. It's not going to create something from nothing. So you need inner or Wi-Fi access in order to make this work, which I think more and more is becoming ubiquitous. A lot of today's cars have Wi-Fi built into them, right? Exactly. Exactly. The
1: future, the future's it's here. Yep. As we get closer to wrapping up, the last, the the Uh next thing we wanted to, ready. The next thing we wanted to touch on was like, um, automation that we're seeing in album and book designs. There's a bunch of, and, and this whole conversation, yes, we started with AI. We, we've been talking about AI, but a lot of this is just automation. Automation makes our lives simpler, no matter what it is. I don't know. I, I can program my garage door so that when I get home, it recognizes I'm home and then my garage door opens. Automation yeah. is beautiful. I don't do that because I don't, want somebody random just walking into my garage but yeah
0: but it's possible it's a thing so anyway
1: yeah album and book design there's a bunch of different tools out there that do album and book design even now some of these companies are starting to do social design as well social media design using their same software they built for album design to now do social design so um what are your thoughts on 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 using these sort of tools to do client books to do personal books to do wedding albums whatever it is yeah what do you think about those brilliant
0: it's brilliant and much needed it's, a, it's another thing right you feel I know a lot of photographers that i know will say yeah i gotta have my fingers on everything and i have to build my layouts and only yeah. i know how to do this and that's part of my sauce yeah sure for those people this is not for them because they find a happiness in building the ship in the bottle right they find yeah gratification in the journey which there's nothing wrong with that of course but for the other people that find that drudgery that kind of work drudgery i'm not creative i don't know if i should have one shot on this page or three or in composition she's looking that way should she be looking towards the seam of the book all these decisions that the software already knows and it can do that it already and if the software can look at the shot too and place it in a frame on the page correctly i.e not cutting people's heads off and doing all of the right stuff, at the very least, it gives you hours and hours of your day back when it comes yeah. to lay, doing this kind of layout. And at the end of the day, you still have control over it because you, you're finished and you're like, oh, yes, yeah, probably should put Aunt Jenny in that spot and let's move that one. Yeah. Or maybe this one would be better as a full page, but it gives you a brilliant head start. Much must chat GPT, yeah. right? If you're, yep. you gotta, like, for me, I had to write my intro for this last conference. I could have written it myself or copy and pasted one of my old ones and changed it or done whatever, but you release chat GPT on it and it pulls something out that only needs a few minor changes and (laughs) total updates. Yeah. Yeah. go fix that for me. Yeah. Yeah, My chat GPT dog. Same thing for these, for album design, these kinds of things, just to the whole point of technology, the one of the main, not the only singular point, but one of the main points of technology is to make our lives easier to free us up to do the, the core thing that we enjoy doing. That's what it is. All this other stuff that's hanging around, like in photography, the, our core goal is to tell stories or create images that others enjoy. That's it. And everything between that finished bit and what we see in our mind's eye is resistance, right? It's, okay, I got to understand how focal lengths work. Okay, I got to understand this. Oh, half press to focus. Oh, focus area this. Am I shooting raw or JPEG? Am I shooting high enough resolution? Oh, I have my images. Now I got to build an album from them. I got to figure out the software to build the albums. But give to my... All that stuff is drudgery in the middle. And when software can pop in there and, and say, hey, Frederick, let me take that off your plate, man. You look like you're stressed. Thank yeah. you. Please take it. You can yeah. do it better than I can. You take it. I'm going to yeah. check your work. But you take it and yeah. we'll, we'll keep pressing forward. So, yeah. no, I think those, I think we're at the beginning of those as well. Because as things change and technologies change and new tools pop up for us as content creators to use, so will the, the demand for how you present the final output change yeah. as well. And these companies will also hopefully follow suit and keep giving us great things. So, yeah, yeah. I'm bullish think, on the I, whole thing.
1: I think one of the important words that you just used was layout, right? Whereas a lot of album and book design tools and software, they use templates Mm -hmm. where it's, Mm -hmm. here's your starting point, drag your photos in, drag your photos in, or just add all and that's it, right? And then Mm -hmm. you have to go and rearrange. Whereas the more modern solutions, the more intelligent ones, they're analyzing your photos ratings, they're analyzing the, the times of when the photos were captured, they're analyzing... The aesthetics of which way they're looking if, and if they're color of black and white. And then they're laying it out in a way that makes sense based on those photos, not just templatizing yeah. your design. And I think that's which where, and again, as you said, you can adjust, but it's giving you that starting point that's more personal to what you actually shot and not yeah. just the template.
0: Yeah. And if these softwares can either through input from you or just learning over time, figure out what your preferences are. Yeah. Like Scott always does X, Y, and Z. So I'm just going to assume that he wants to do X, Y, and Z with these photos, right? (laughs) Yeah. So if it's, if it has that level of ability to infer what the user wants to, then yeah, these tools become like little assistants for us to let us do more in with less time.
1: Yeah. Or Scott, for some reason, you keep putting the person with the seam directly down the person's face, stop doing it. I'm not going to let you do it anymore.
0: Yeah, like, absolutely. Prehibit yeah, one of the things. doing stupid things. <laughs> one of, it's interesting you say that. One of the things I was, I was speaking with the Xire folks on, and one of the things that they're working on, actually, it's public, so I can say it, is the idea of uh, using artificial intelligence, and this is going to be controversial, using artificial intelligence to judge photography contests. Imagine That's that. That's very so, controversial. Yeah, Positives and negatives, right? So yeah. on the positive side, sure, it's a photo contest. You can give it the parameters of the contest. You can do all the rules can be baked in so that anything that doesn't adhere to the rules of the contest immediately reject it. What a great filter, right? Instead of us, this was supposed to be a contest about flowers. Why is there a car in here yeah. with a flower? As a, first, on the...
1: as a first pass, I can see yeah. that being helpful just so I don't have to look at non-flower photos for a flower Correct.
0: contest. But that's a low-hanging fruit, right? That first filter yeah. to, to reject yeah. things that don't adhere to what the contest is about. Yeah. The second level is, like you're saying, these AIs understand lighting, composition, exposure, to some degree, creativity, arguably, right? They, and they can hopefully tell what is a good photograph. Again, subjective, right? And controversial. Mm-hmm. What is a, quote, good photograph versus what is a, quote, bad photograph? And say, okay, this one can go forward to the next stage because of these reasons, this one cannot. So yeah, so it, I think though the tech can be used in some uses to be a, a standalone judge of a group of photos to say out of all these photos, these three are the best, so winner, mm-hmm. and I'm going to rank them like this. So you can do that yeah. instantly, I think. Should we do it? No, I don't think so. I think the way the the technology should be used is, A, for one, I don't want a robot telling me what's good or not, right? I really value the opinions of other people and other humans that know photography, right? So I want that in there, not some machine-learned amalgam of data that you apply to my photo. I want subjectivity when people are looking at my photos. So under that light, I think it's, the this, these, those kinds of technologies will very clearly have a dial of how much you want their input, but they will be at the beginning of the flow. So, maybe even yeah. at ingest when you upload a photo right. instantly, wouldn't it be great for your, the software or the page that you're Denied, uploading it's from not a flower. You, to tell you and why? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, to tell you, yeah. nope, this does not fit the criterion yeah. of this, the blah, blah, blah. Here's a yeah. reminder of the rules. Boom, go yes. for it. So, right? that
1: I could see being very useful. Um, to me, as I'm, I'm somebody who – I don't like photo contests personally. I don't mm-hmm. submit to photo contests because I don't enjoy them. Um, um, but to me, if I was to submit to a photo contest, I would want to be told ahead of time we are using AI to either prehen- pre- prevent inaccurate submissions or whatever you want to call it, or I would want to be told your photos are being judged by AI, not by yes. humans. Because that, that makes a big difference of whether somebody's going to submit or not for sure. No, Um, 100%. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it should be, I think it should be disclosed wherever used, to be honest with you. I think it should, wherever AI is being implemented to a degree, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't need to know that it's helping me. I'm I'm sitting in a public space inside, and AI is helping regulate the temperature in that room. I don't need to know that, that level. But if it's something that's more sensitive, like it's judging a photo contest, or it wrote some copy that I'm reading that I could make the assumption was written by a human. I would, I I feel like right now at this stage in time, I want some sort of marker on there that says, this was at least partially assisted by artificial intelligence or written completely by artificial intelligence. Same with images. I want as mid journey and all of these generative AI technologies get better and better, the distinction between what is a real photograph and what is, what doesn't exist in the world anyway (laughs) is becoming harder and harder to discern. So I don't know even, I don't even know if this is possible, but I want some sort of marker on images or somewhere on a page that where necessary, not always, but where necessary, that gives me a hint of, oh, this AI was involved in this composition, if it makes sense, right? If it's, if for example, here's where it would make sense. I'm looking at a magazine, and who reads magazines, here? but I'm looking at a magazine, <laughs> and there's a shot of some delicious chocolate cake in there for a Betty Crocker ad, right? And the, and the whole thing could be AI generated. I have no idea if it was or not, because it looks photorealistic, right. it looks delicious and all that. Uh, if it was generated by AI, because it's a cake that they're trying to get me to buy, or a cake mix, I want to know. It should know. be disclosed. Yeah. I wouldn't disclose it. If it's just a photo of a birthday party with a kid in there and there's a cake on the table and it's not about the cake, then I don't care. It could be that, that cake could be AI generated. I don't care. It's yeah. in service of the story. But I think we need a yeah. level of disclosure and genuineness as we as we start to move forward with this stuff. And it, yeah,
1: yeah, I, I, I think if it does get incorporated into magazines like that, uh, it's going to quickly filter out the ethical versus non-ethical publications for sure. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The ones who don't disclose when it comes to important things, like
0: an ad, for example. I mean, yeah. I'd like to see a whole. Here, here's an idea. Maybe you could do this. <laughs> I, I, w- I would like to see a whole satirical AI-driven magazine, much like The Onion, but AI-driven with real, <laughs> with gener- like fake news stories, Everything, but in yeah. AI-generated photographs the goal yeah. <laughs> to go <laughs> to illustrate it. I
1: would see that. That'd be interesting. That w- yeah, someone's going to do it. It's only a matter of time before somebody does that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is there anything, as that's to, to wrap things up, is there anything going on with at, over at Twip, at Flickr, at SmugMug, anything that you want to share that is going on on your side of things?
0: Not particularly. One thing I would just throw out there, and I have a question to throw back at you. What, one thing I would throw out there is about Flickr, right? I've been talking, mm-hmm. since since the acquisition happened about a year ago, I've been talking a lot about Flickr and speaking with a lot of different people about Flickr and the consensus, general consensus is, oh, Flickr, they're still alive or, <laughs> or it's either that or I still use Flickr and I've been using Flickr since yeah. the beginning of time and I have no intention on stopping using Flickr because it is my operating system for my photography or sharing my photography. One of the things, part, and I was in that first group, I, I've, I've kept, since 2008, I've had an active Flickr account and I've had an active Flickr group My Flickr group for this week in photo has over a hundred thousand people in there, but it is, it's not, I think it has over a hundred thousand, maybe a hundred thousand images. I have to look, but it's not insignificant. The number of people that are active in, inside of Flickr. And what I would encourage folks to do is do what I did. So at one point I was like, okay, let me bear down and, and get reacquainted with how Flickr works because I had fallen off the path. I was one of the early users, 2008, right, of Flickr. And I remember how I used it then and why I fell in love with it then. And where social media and image sharing veered off to, right or wrong, is different than what Flickr laid out as the path. And Flickr laid out this whole idea of groups and individuals that are communicating about a t- particular type of photography, subgenre of a genre of a subgenre of photography. And there's a giant group around it that love that and they interact with each other. So the community associated with that and that feedback, I feel like is part of what's missing with the hashtags and the likes and all that of yeah. today. Just that, yeah. just like, I, I remember back in the day I was living in Los Angeles. I wanted to be a headshot. I wanted to start shooting headshots and I did. So I was shooting headshots for actors and actresses down there. And as a new guy to Flickr, I was like, okay, I have this set of photos that I did of this particular person. Let me just upload them all to Flickr and let the community tell me which one is best. And that's right. the way I used it, almost like as, a, as an AI, right? I upload everything. Yeah. And then it, we evolved past that with 500px and those kind of initiatives where it was only upload the best of the best and get right. feedback on that. So I applaud that direction, but the lack of community is what I feel like missing in a ton of photography today. This is why I started up the TWIP community, because there's the whole part of photography is just interacting with other people. It's not a sport where you can just go shoot and enjoy your the fruits of your labor and then go on to the next thing. It is conversational. It is educational. It's psychological. It's all these yeah. things that only a community can bring out. So yeah, I would encourage people to go check out, if you haven't, if you still have your Flickr account, I'd go dust it off and go back in there and see why you fell in love with it in the first place and use it. I am not paid to say that. I don't have to say anything about Flickr if I don't want to. It's not part of my agreement, right, is to talk great about Flickr or SmugMug. But the reason I signed on with and aligned myself with both companies is because I believe in what they're doing, and the software yeah. is amazing. So, yeah, definitely go check it out. It, it doesn't just, cost anything. I was, yeah. I, I just kick the tires.
1: They, just, they still do have the free plan. I just, so I'm on the free plan. I haven't had a pro plan in a long time, but I just pulled up my, my, my profile. I've been a member of Flickr since August
0: 2005. Wow. Before <laughs> me, right? See? and that's a and long you time. Yeah. And you could have canceled your account for whatever of reasons. Course. And a lot of people did, I think, because of the, the Flickr was a hot potato back in the day. It was... First it was independent yeah. and then it was it got bought by flick or by yeah. yahoo and then they didn't know what to do with it and then yahoo and fell on rough times and they sold that off to Ver- so yeah. flicker off to verizon and you know, all these yeah. different things that happened smug mug is just in their credit right and the folks that manage smug mug so smug mug looked at flicker and didn't i don't think they looked at it from the standpoint of oh we can take this thing and flip it and generate a gazillion dollars because if they oh, were yeah, thinking no, that no. yeah if they were thinking right. that they could have probably done something similar to that by funneling the gazillion Flickr members into smug, into smug mug, mug. <laughs> yeah, they didn't do that yeah. they didn't do no. that and their reasoning i'm told was they love photography smug mug was one of the reasons I, I wanted to be part of that company they genuinely love photography yeah and they saw Flickr as part of photography history and lore yeah and they felt, and all those images and just memories yeah. that were just on the event horizon getting ready to be sucked into the black hole. So they yeah. were like, "Let's save it and yeah. and make sure that it's going to be around for generations and generations through infrastructure and all the things that they did when yeah. they bought it. So they modernized everything, bought it, or they bought it, then modernized everything, yeah. put it on the correct servers and all that, and boom, and it's off into the races. Yeah. And speaking with them, I had a a conversation with the CEO, and speaking with them, um, I said one of the fears is, yeah, it's going to go away. There's all these also-rans out there. There's Instagram. There's Facebook. There's Mm. 500PX. The list goes on and on of people that are trying to get our images, notwithstanding Adobe and Apple and Microsoft and Google also trying to get our images. Why Mm -hmm. would I put them on this service over here that was a hot potato and all that? So they explained that... the Without going into it exhaustively, but they explained that they have a commitment that Flickr is not going away. Flickr is going to yeah. be a, be around Forever. for our kids and yeah. beyond our kids, and they've taken yeah. steps to make sure that happens. When right. I heard that, I was like, "It's no, if for that alone, it is yeah. a no brainer." <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't have to worry about it.
1: Right? At, at Imaging USA, I had the I was lucky enough to sit sit in with a conversation with Ben, and he gave me the whole spiel. <laughs> the whole backstory he, he, Oh Ben McCaskill, of, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He gave me the whole story about how the whole Flickr thing happened and I it just it not only is it fascinating, but it gives me even more respect for the team at Smug Mug, everybody at Smug Mug, for putting so much care into photography and what photographers have done for history. Right. right. It's I amazing. don't think you're
0: gonna find I don't think you're gonna find a company with an executive team and a founding team that are more passionate, and I would go out on a limb, I I very rarely make definitive pointed statements like this, but knowing those folks and knowing what they're doing, what they could have done, and how much money they could have made, right, and that they, despite all that sort of the cash grab that was right in front of them, they I argue that they did the right thing on the Mm. Flickr side and just on the management of the company side. The company has, SmugMug has managed to remain private through all Mm. these storms, through the photon torpedoes that have been shot at SmugMug are endless, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right. From patent troll suits to infrastructure, you need to make sure that's modern and, and humming along to advancing the platform. While running photographers' businesses and making them money and, and keeping the eye on the ball, which is the people that are customers of both of these companies, all three now, including This Week in Photo, are passionate photographers, right? And inside baseball, one of the mission statements for Smug Mug Flickr and now This Week in Photo is to make the world, and this is the quote, this is, this is on the wall, right? To make the world a better place through the power of photography. That's yeah. the mission. That's what guides yeah. everything, is to make the world a better place to the power of photography. My mission yeah. statement for This Week in Photo is and was to entertain, inspire, and educate. However you want to phrase those three things, depending on the usage, yeah. but to entertain photographers. So entertainment, inspiration, and education. And I've found over the years that when you mix those things together, you get magic because photography yeah. fits right in there with that. So, Yeah. Yeah, but the, to throw the question at you, I wanted to throw at you is the company that you have hitched your wagon to over there. <laughs> I, w- I wanted to talk about that a little bit. I, this could be a whole separate interview, but I wanted to just go into that world of yeah. what Imagine is working on and what your, mm-hmm. what your contribution is over there. I'm curious from a photographer standpoint, but then also yeah. from a, somebody that's in the industry that is working with companies that build great tools for photographers. What are, what are you guys working on? Yeah. Imagine three years
1: ago started doing AI photo editing, right? We learn how photographers Mm -hmm. edit in Lightroom Classic and create what we call a personal AI profile. And then once that's made, it takes less than 24 hours. Once it's made, we can then edit super fast. We can edit 1,500 photos in less than 10 minutes. So, and it's only getting faster and better. We do a whole wide range of things, including subject mask, automation, and cropping and straightening and do glo- global edits. Uh, we, we do so much, and it's it definitely been saving photographers a ton of time. Months back, we also announced and people have been testing our uh, AI culling, our photo selection software, we're actually like analyzing the photos and determining, not saying like, this is bad, this is good. We're basically just saying, these are the ones that we suggest as your keepers but we're still giving you everything. So you can still look, review everything to, to make sure that we're not overlooking something. Yeah. And that's been an ongoing thing. It's, that's in beta, it's available to all paying um, customers right now. Awesome. So we've had editing, we've had culling. And what we're doing is we're basically bringing everything into what we are calling a, a workspace. This is basically representing natural evolution of our, our uh, software solution, which streamlines every aspect of a photographer's post-production workflow. We've already started this process by integrating culling into editing. So somebody can uh, upload their photos to us and have the calling done, and then review that in Lightroom, review that in Photo Mechanic, whatever you want, and then quickly, without re-uploading, just choose what you want to send off to editing. It's painless. So we've been weaving this science that we've been building into a photographer's workflow. And so we're, basically what we've got is this whole roadmap of, of post-production tasks that can be conquered in super fast lighting speed, precision, all using AI and automation and facilitating the uh, ability to get post-production work done faster and safer, secure, so empowering that's, that's like, photographers,
0: basically. That's the, it yeah, sounds like what like, we, we were talking about before, right? That's what technology is for, it's yeah. off of your plate so that you can, the thing, presumably the thing that you love doing is shooting right as a photographer or maybe it's post-processing i don't know but for the most part i think the common denominator for most photographers is we love taking photos and the other part of it is we love sharing those photos and everything in between that is has varying degrees of difficulty depending on where you find joy but what i'm curious about from your software standpoint is take who is it for is it for yeah. event photographers? Is it for wedding photographers? Is it for headshot or portrait? So interesting. Who? So we, when we originally came out, we originally created the software for
1: wedding photographers, of course. Mm-hmm. But as we've come to find, there's all sorts of photographers that are using Imagine. We've got sports photographers. We've got NASCAR photographers, literally NASCAR sure. photographers. We have family portrait photographers. We have theater photographers that are using Imagine. So it really a lot of headshot photographers, right? We've got the wide range boudoir, you name it, they're using Imagine. So, wow. We are built for bulk photo editing in whatever capacity is needed. Bulk could be 5 photos at once, bulk could be a million photos at once. It doesn't make a difference. We can handle as little or as much as is, as needed. And it's just a matter of right now we support Lightroom Classic, we have we are working towards supporting Capture One as well. But but yeah, so so I, take it's...
0: me through that just real quick. I know we're we're, yeah. we're out of time, but I'm curious because yeah. I I want to use the software, right? <laughs> so <laughs> if I'm shooting portraits, or let's say I'm doing a, a model shoot, right? Yeah. And we're we're taking photos on this Sacramento or whatever. I come back with my memory card. I I'm shooting Nikon. I don't have camera to cloud, so I come back with my memory card and. At that point of ingestion is where it's going to go on my hard drives and get replicated and do all the things. And I'm going to bring it into Lightroom Classic. So currently, the my flow would be, okay, all right, I'm going to sit down. got my glass of wine. Okay, <laughs> import my photos. Yeah. Let's go in, and do a first pass right. and basically find the photos that I feel like are worthy of me taking to the next level, i.e. working right. on cropping, adjusting, removing, et cetera. And that's basically where it goes. So I work on those and then those go into a finished folder and then I put them on the Smug Mug and send the person a link and all the things. How does Imagine fit in that flow, in my flow? Yeah, so, like where would yeah, I plug so you in?
1: What you would do is you once you import into Lightroom, right, before you even do anything else, right, to any reviewing of the photos, before mm-hmm. your first pass, you would you'd import into Lightroom, you would then open the imagine app and you would upload your that entire folder or the collection whichever you work in up to imagine and let it do the first pass for you so what you're from, doing from is within sec-
0: lightroom as a- or as a separate app so outside so of lightroom app. separate app. it's a separate okay, app
1: yeah. yep but it, it directly reads your catalog information and you would literally send us the folder we would upload smart previews if they exist if they don't we make our own our own temporary smart previews we upload those Um, our calling AI will will analyze it, give you back the information. You would download it. If your Lightroom, um, preferences have XMP turned on XMPs will be made. If they don't, we'll just inject it into the database of Lightroom and they'll show up anyway, either as stars or colors. So there's your first pass. You now go back to Lightroom, review the data. You can go through and make your second pass at this point. Now it's you doing it right. You're getting back involved. We're letting you. Take a, can tra- it's your creativity. You don't need to you know, be com- uh, totally hands-off. Maybe one day mm-hmm. you, you will trust it, but right now you don't have to. Um, and so you do your fine-tuning of the coal and then you go back to the Imagine app and say, okay, I've made my changes. Everything five-star is what I want to edit. And now it re-uploads back the metadata just to ins- see what, what was changed. Then that takes two seconds, just as a text file. And then it goes off to editing just the way that you would edit. And then again, in a couple minutes, it'll be done. You download it back to Lightroom and you'd open
0: up Lightroom and see them popping in. Ready. So is the idea with Imagine to get me to, so help me with culling, of course, but, and on the helping me with culling, is it, it does it learn over time what I like based on what I've rejected and what I've kept? And so, can I tweak it? So can I say personally, I, if I'm shooting a model session or something, mm-hmm. I may favor towards my 85 mil lens and a blurry background and I always want the nearest eye to be right. tack sharp focused. Those are three main right. things.
1: Can it key on those? So right now, it doesn't personalize culling. That is something that we will get to. Once we are happy with the overall output for majority of our, you know, of the Imagine users, Mm-hmm. At that point, once we're happy and we take it out of beta, now we can then turn on personalization. And then it'll learn from your needs. But we are holding right. off on enabling personalization until we are happy with the general output um, of what it's That's doing it. for everybody. That's but so the cool. editing is wow. 100% personalized. So editing-wise, it will learn your... what It'll learn from what I like to say from A to Z. A being what you do in camera, and Z, Z or Z being um, at the final edit. So it'll learn everything that you do and just do it for you and again it's not to it yeah it's all non-destructive in Lightroom still so it's not you're not it doesn't have to be the end if you don't want to be you can still do blemish removal in Photoshop if you want you can still do blemish removal in Lightroom if you want or use portraiture or whatever it is you can still keep going
0: to further enhance the photo for your creative needs so it sounds like what I said earlier about how I used to use Flickr back in the day as like a a crowdsourced culling tool to tell me what shots are great. Sounds like Imagine's doing that now. So I can upload my headshot shoot of Actor ABC on the beach. Mm -hmm. I can upload all those photos. It's going to initially go through and tell me which ones I should care about and work on based on smarts, and then apply some corrections to those selects at the end and then present those back to me. So now I have a starting point of, really great images that have that are almost ready to go, then I can go in and do some final cropping, or I want this like this, or I want to make this one for TikTok, whatever. So I can do all that stuff later. But it gets me to the point where all these photos are good. And all these photos are, we've edited them to make sure that they are ready for you to add your special sauce to, right? Is that accurate? Okay.
1: Pretty much, yeah. So it, the calling and editing are two separate things. You can do one or the other, but it's part mm-hmm. of, you can do it either separate or you can do it together. It's That's the whole thing where we're going with this sort of integrated experience so that it's all one. And it, we're not ending there. We're going to be adding features to be able to send your final edit to your gallery automatically. So if you're, hopefully at some point we're integrating with SmugMug and, and any other potential gallery solution that that wants to integrate, we'll be able to send it off to you. But also from the, ingestion side of things is yeah. part of this new this direction we're going is being able to be a photographer's additional disaster recovery solution so right now a lot of photographers are using SmugMug, for example to back up all their jpegs right yeah because SmugMug makes it really easy to do especially from lightroom so we're making it easy for photographers to also back up their raw files as they're going to upload for culling or end or editing we could back up your raw photos for you at the same time, right? And also where do those go? Low.
0: So I'm backing up like, my raw photos, where, where are they, yeah. where those files live?
1: So that would go to the Imagine servers. So we've got, oh, okay. yeah, so we have Amazon AWS servers that, that we yeah. utilize, the super high production, secure servers. And yeah, nobody has access to them. They're very safe. Just, just like a Flickr or a Smug Mug. they're in cloud servers
0: and they're secured and all that stuff. So it's, yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah, SmugMug has a, that I I learned about uh, relatively recently, a couple months ago, there's a service um, that SmugMug doesn't promote a whole lot. So this might be like a a, a hacker insider tip. But if you look on SmugMug and you search for a a feature called SmugMug Source, it will um, allow you to upload your raw images and store them on SmugMug in perpetuity, right? right? So Mm -hmm. when I learned about that, along with all this Flickr stuff, when I learned about that, I was like, Wait a minute. Backblaze? Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. So basically, yeah. So I don't know that they want the word to be out there that widely, but yeah, it's totally possible to throw all your RAWs up there and have them accessible to you and not worry about, oh, I got to put a yeah. Drobo here or oh, not Drobo right. or Synology. That's the thing.
1: The thing is disaster recovery is becoming even more important as... Yeah. I feel like in many cases, consumer hardware is getting or importing quality, right? Hard drives fail, Drobo went out of business. There's so many risks of having your raw files only in a local device and or on one cloud solution. To me, it's, there was a time where I had Smug Mug and I had Backblaze and I had Mm -hmm. Dropbox and I have, the more, the better in, in my opinion, right? And then have the JPEG somewhere else. It's, you can't have too many. And if they're affordable, if cloud is more, in some cases, for some people, cloud is more affordable and having these expensive NAS drives and all these additional hardware in your studio, in your house. Yeah. I'm very excited about the future of backups in everything because I feel like it's all headed in good directions. and it's only in the photographer's benefit,
0: which is no, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. For me, it, I'm weird, but for me, I feel like everything you said is a hundred percent true. Backups in the cloud, on your servers, on Smug Mug, where you know, yeah, anywhere but here, <laughs> basically. Yes, I yeah. want them to live and I want them to be accessible because I think what a lot of photographers are solving for is: what if my house just implodes on itself and yeah. falls into a poltergeist black hole or something, right? Where and all my computers are in California, it could. I I actually live in Cuesta Verde. I'm just saying, no, (laughs) but what was that sound? But yeah, totally, totally. But yeah, but we're solving for that. If something catastrophic like that happens, uh, the one thing that we, one of the things that we are going to be most stressed about is our photos and all that stuff. So having it offsite in the cloud makes a ton of sense. But also what I'm solving for is just being able to get stuff instantly. So like for me, I want local, I want everything, Mm -hmm. all my stuff local, and I want to be able to access it. And that's mainly because what if a company goes out of business? What if a company gets eaten by another company and that company doesn't think that part of the business is important and they shutter it? Now I got to scramble and figure out a solution, which is not to say that's going to happen to any of the companies we've mentioned, but- Paranoid Frederick and my photos, yeah. I want local, but then yeah. I want it in the cloud too on the these redundancy. other areas. The redundancy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Redundancy and access yeah. and safety. My friend Alex Lindsay, who used to be on TWIP, was one of the founders of TWIP. He would say that data doesn't exist unless it exists in three locations simultaneously. Yes. Which makes sense. So it needs to, or a photo, let's say a photo needs to be on your local drive here. On, like you said, on your Dropbox or maybe at a friend's house. Maybe you guys are mirroring drives and doing that dance or at grandma's yep. or your parents or something. So there's another copy of it. And then there's a copy up there in the cloud yeah. as well. Yep. So if something happens on Earth and those things go away, you still have your cloud backup. Some happens to the cloud backup, you have one of those. So you got the tripod of stability. Which I think yeah. is is really important. I've lived by that since you said that. It just it's yep. made sense to follow yeah. that rule of thumb. I, I I've been using
1: the three to one rule, which is very basically it's the same thing. It's but it's mm-hmm. spelled out as basically three backups, two of which are local, one is cloud. I've been looking at it more as at least three backups. I have I do have two local, but I would say one local at a minimum, two clouds because. Yeah. Again, clouds are safer in the long run, right? Yeah, and yeah. it's scarier and safer.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. It's safer, but it if, depending on who you are and the volume of your yeah. photography, yes. part of the yes. hard part could be getting your photos up there in the first place. So if you're shooting a gazillion images every weekend on weddings or whatever, and you're still yeah. trying to upload, you could never catch yeah. up because you're filling that's, the that's bucket the faster than you can empty it. Yeah,
1: but that's the beauty of how Imagine is doing it is we're building it into the workflow. So when you're going to upload your 6,000 photos you shot at the wedding to Cole, right? Initially, we're backing up your raw photos at that point. Beautiful. When you're uploading to Cole, it's backed up. Again, this is not yet. This is the future. This is what's coming. And then from there, you can go into edit. And again, your photos are still backed up. So if something happens. So let's... Yeah, definitely. To wrap things up, I want to just say from the... Workflows podcast, The Imagine Side of Things, please definitely go and check out TWIP, This Week in Photo, listen to all of Frederick's episodes, check out the website, check out the community there. And that's what this is about. This is about introducing for everybody who in on The Imagine Side who hasn't heard of This Week in Photo to to definitely go and check it out. I've known Frederick for a long time. A long
0: time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's been forever. Yeah, I think I had more hair back when we first <laughs> <laughs> met. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. And I would throw it back at you as well. For the, the folks that are This Week in Photo listening audience that are listening and watching this, you heard what we talked about with how imagine imagined it kind of fits into the workflow of what you're doing, depending on what your genre is. Yeah, you can't not check it out. And one of the people behind the company, Scott here, they're genuine people doing genuine things that are genuinely in service of making the world a better place through the power of photography, right? And making your journey in photography a little bit easier, a little bit more pleasurable, using the tools correctly, AI, Mm -hmm. using AI tools correctly to help you be better at what you're doing. Like in the case of Grammarly, I talked about in the beginning of the conversation, how Grammarly has helped me become a better writer because it's low key showing me what I'm doing wrong repetitively so that I'm (laughs) fixing it as I go along. Same thing with what you guys are doing. I see parallels there. Oh, okay. And I'm always overexposing because it's always need it's always (laughs) pulling my exposure back a little bit. Maybe I should work on that. So those sorts of things. So I would say partner don't vilify AI and the technologies that, that the various tangents that AI is comprised of. Don't vilify it now is the time to be educated about it. Whether or not you're going to dive in and become a a proponent of the technologies and all this stuff, but dive in and understand how this stuff works and how people are using it. On the bullish side, figure out how AI can make you a better photographer using software like Imogen, using the different tools that are available to you. Figure out what it is you want to be as a photographer and how these new technologies can now kickstart what you're trying to do. These are techs that Ansel Adams didn't have, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yet he still managed to make great photos, right? And now you have all these cool things where there's the cameras, it's the software, it's the community and all these things. Yeah, use them and don't be afraid of them. I saw the, and I don't know if you saw this ad campaign that uh, Nikon put out, and I'm a Nikon shooter, so I'm pro Nikon, right? So they put out this campaign on, basically the gist of the campaign was don't give up on reality yet because everyone's doing this mid-journey stuff and you know, all these cool things. And Nikon put out this basically it was an ad campaign that showed, and I'll find out, I'll put it in the, the Twit blog post as well. But they've they the the commercial that they put together or the piece was showing real locations, fantastical locations around the planet that Nikon photographers had captured, and then they prompted them. So they wrote a prompt that you would have written to generate that kind of image. But of course it was a real image, right? Yeah. So I thought that was good. That was an interesting take on it. But at the end of it, they had a screen up that had, you know how they put the text on the screen and they had a text text on the screen that said, this campaign inspired hundreds of photographers to go out and shoot in reality or something like that. And the first thing I thought was only hundreds? Only hundreds of photographers? For one, you look at MidJourney and Adobe and all these different companies that are springing up, millions and millions of yeah. people are trying these things. So hundreds is a drop in the bucket. So I wouldn't have leaned into that if I were you, Nikon. Uh, and on the other side of it, I was thinking, why are you raging against the machine? Literally, why not? Why not change the, the, the narrative of the conversation to be something like, look at what these amazing Nikon photographers are doing with their amazing images that they shot with their Nikon cameras and then used AI to do these things with. So leaning into it instead of trying to vilify it. I think vilifying the AI tech right now where there's generative or large language models or whatever is a losing battle. It's like trying to stuff the toothpaste back in the tube. It's not going. You might as well just brush
1: your teeth. So I, I'm also a, a Nikon user, um, and I still love my Nikon's and I always will. But yeah. did you notice that uh, after that campaign came out, that a lot of the photos were sourced from Flickr, and not for the campaign? I did not
0: see that. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm so. Telling.
1: So it was a it was a very clever campaign. I was like loving it as I watched the video, and then I saw the news about how it was literally like some of it was just was even creative commons like yeah unpaid so that's that's so
0: sad that's interesting that's the thing about Flickr and one of the powers that people overlook that nikon inadvertently Mm -hmm. leveraged right and that's Mm -hmm. the fact that the metadata for the photos that you upload if you choose it to be but by default the metadata for your photos the the focal length, the lens you use, the camera yeah. body you use, the, sh- the exposure information, et cetera, et cetera, oh, is all recorded yeah. and displayed beautifully with your photo. Searchable.
1: And searchable.
0: searchable. Like Nikon did, you could say, you yeah. know what? I want to see what is the world shooting? What are people shooting with Nikon Z9s? With the 50, with the 50, lens, yeah. 50 mil lens, Nikon Z9s. You know, what are they doing in San Francisco? Photographers shooting Nikon Z9s. In San Francisco, that's, last that's month Creative only. Commons
1: available for commercial
0: use. That's Creative Commons that I can use <laughs> in my thing, right? So, yeah, boom, there you go. So, it's all there. So, like the, the Flickr yeah. platform and Smug Mug are built, it sounds cliche, but I'm gonna say it anyway, by photographers for photographers. Yeah. And those are the things that photographers want, right? You wanna, yeah. I see a beautiful picture that I would like to try and do something like that. Instantly, I want to know what you shot it with. Not so much the camera body, but what lens and exposure and all yeah. that other stuff. So I think yeah. one of the things Flickr may consider, I don't know if they're considering it now, but I know when I, around when I first joined the company, they had, Flickr had spun up a whole new category to allow people that were generating video game mm-hmm. photography to upload and categorize. So like in software uh, or games like Horizon Zero Dawn, Right, So beautiful game, open world game, has a feature in there where you can just wander around and pull out a virtual camera and take a photo of the scene. Turns out that's right. your photo. That is yeah. now your photo. So you can take that photo and upload it to Flickr as your photo, and it'll be categorized appropriately. So I'm thinking AI is probably next, right, to have something up probably. there that we yeah. can flag it as AI. If it's not already there, it may already be yeah. there. They're fast. Uh, yeah. Something that you can search for all the photos that were generated by AI, or even a particular AI algorithm. Oh, this is from yeah. OpenAI, or not OpenAI, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Dali. Yeah, this is yeah. from Dali. This is from Midjourney. This is Firefly. Yeah. Whatever. It's only a matter of time. It's got to. Yeah. It's got to go that direction for sure. But absolutely. Um, absolutely.
1: Awesome. Let's wrap things up. Thank you, Frederick. Yes. This has been fantastic. I can't wait we to can get this again. episode out. <laughs>
0: Everybody. We will do this again. Yeah, yeah, this, absolutely. We'll
1: have to t- we'll have to talk about this as we edit the episode, but this might have to be a two parter because this, this is
0: a long one. Yeah, yeah. So, On Twip, it'll be a one parter because I'm going longer okay. with the episodes. Little news is, so I the way Twip is going to evolve over mm-hmm. the next couple of weeks is, you remember back in the day, I was Twip was essentially roundtable discussions with mm-hmm. multiple photographers in the room discussing a particular yeah. topic. So going back to that, which is inherently longer form, right? So mm-hmm. we're going to move to that. But then also the one-on-one interviews will continue. So we'll have those on the feed as well. And now I'm adding on on the short form side, the YouTube channel will start evolving into more small tidbits of information, whether it be a review of a particular piece of software like yours or some piece of kit, like some new lens or some new bottle for the camera that came out. So we'll do short form product reviews, maybe 15, 20 minutes or so. Will start going up on the YouTube channel. All that stuff is, represents the next evolution of TWIP, kind of regressing in one area, going back to the round table and mm-hmm. pressing forward in another area, gracing yeah, that's YouTube.
1: Diverse set of, of shows, of like parts of the show. I think it's great. We're, I'm planning to say similar things, not what you're doing, but like similar segments type of things for workflows as well. I'm going to be the next one that's going to be coming hopefully soon, shortly after this episode airs. Is what we're calling workflows mentors, where we're gonna have one-on-one conversation with a mentee and a mentor talking about whatever they're struggling oh, I like with. That. I huh? like you're, that. you're not allowed yeah. to steal that from me.
0: <laughs> oh. Chad GPT, give me words that are similar to mentors. That I... <laughs> oh, man, that's so awesome. This has been yeah.
1: a that's been a, a long thing in the works, but uh, I can't wait till it's finally out there for yeah. people. To, no, it's so much to do to enjoy. Because if so one much person has a problem,
0: man.
1: yeah. Let this me. has been fantastic. I'm I can't wait for this episode to air. On my side, on your side, it's gonna be great. Hopefully we can do more of these in the future. Hopefully people enjoy this crossover type of thing
0: and we can make it happen more. Absolutely. I'm down, man. Just say the word and I'm there. This is this was a good time. And uh, yeah, and if, folks, if you wanna connect with me, obviously I'm at thisweekinfoto.com is the podcast and all the good things. Hundreds like I was saying, hundreds and hundreds of episodes up there with a ton of people from the industry, all corners of the industry are up there. So if you feel like listening to conversations similar to this about various topics, just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. For but then also on the, if you're a pro photographer, definitely check out SmugMug, which is my sister company. I can't say enough about how meticulous they are about caring for photographers' images and empowering photographers to, if they want to generate income from their photography, helping them do that. And then on the Flickr side, all the things we talked about, just just the metadata piece, you owe it to yourself just to go over there, even if you don't sign up, to poke around and explore and see what people are doing with your particular camera and lens to get inspired. Oh, crap, I didn't know I could do that, (laughs) you know, and then go out and shoot. So, yeah, check it all out. Lots of stuff to look at. Awesome.
1: Awesome. Yeah, for on the Imagine side, if you are looking for somebody, software that is going to help you with your post-production to speed things up, let you get back to Going out and traveling, and going out and spending time with family, which is on what I'm about to do when we stop recording, and do whatever it is you want to do, or do work on all the things in your business. Then check out Imagine. It's just imagineai.com. Um, you'll find the podcast there, and and all the other stuff. And again, you can try Imagine for free. You don't need to pay us to try us. So love it. Yeah. Um. So this has been fantastic. I am. We're gonna. Let's. Let, I'm just gonna hit stop. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah.
0: This is Twit.